Hello, world, and welcome to Tech Republic's Business Technology Weekly. This is our program about top technology trends and thoughtful stories. I'm Dan Patterson, and with me on this episode is Tech Republic editor Bill Detweiler. Bill, what's going on, man? Hey, not much, man. Just glad to be here. So we have some uh, housekeeping news at the end of this program and uh, a couple headlines to hit. First order of business, though. This is, I love saying this about every podcast we do. This is the last episode of Business Technology Weekly. Uh, of course, it's not the last episode, and we'll talk about that at the end of the show. The Tech Republic podcast and Business Technology Weekly will continue. Uh, we, like a phoenix, it will be reborn. Like a phoenix, our podcast is reborn. Uh, you know, the awesome thing is that we keep experimenting with formats, and we listen to you, the audience. Uh, you know what? I, I keep babbling. First, though, Bill, let's do the news. Hey, you know, this week, HPE or HP Enterprise officially rolled out its device as a service program. And this is really interesting because it is it is the enterprise or corporate IT sort of emulating what other manufacturers are doing in the consumer space. So basically what this program is, you know, like the everything as a service mentality, right? First it was software as a service, and then it was infrastructure as a service or networking as a service. And now we have devices as a service. And as you would expect, expect this is basically just a subscription program where companies come in and they can pay a fixed price per seat over a multi-year period. So you say you have, you know, 50 users, you're going to pay per person. And over that multi-year period, there are no upfront costs. And you basically, your users get to choose from a menu or you get to choose in IT from a menu of devices. And then HP Enterprise will provide those devices. Um, and, and every so often you get to upgrade. Um, and it, it's really sort of aimed at, it's aimed at larger enterprises. Um, it'll cover PCs, it'll cover tablets and phones, but it's also going to cover more specialized computing devices such as thin clients and even point of sale systems. So you remember you saw this with Apple last year with uh, um, with their program when they rolled out, hey, look, you know, every couple of years you can upgrade your Apple phone, you know, just give us a couple hundred bucks a year and you can get a new device every year. You know, people have kind of people uh, like this. They like to have the latest and the greatest uh, and the newest technologies. And HP is now thinking that, hey, companies are going to like to uh, do this too. So it'll be interesting to see whether people, whether IT departments that were accustomed to usually purchasing hardware, depreciating that hardware, keeping it as a capital cost, and then um, and, and, and then supporting that hardware are now willing to sort of just basically rent the hardware uh, from HP. I love this idea because it essentially adds convenience to something that enterprise companies and consumers, like you pointed out with the the iPhone and Apple, have been doing for years. Uh, every couple of years, if you work in a corporate enterprise environment, you know that, that Lenovo ThinkPad is swapped out for a new Lenovo ThinkPad and you have it for like, you know, two to five years. And on the back end, you've got to know that your IT department is doing the same thing with servers and with other hardware appliances. This is almost like HASS, hardware as a service, or as, as our headline is, uh, dead, uh, devices as a service, DAS. Uh, but it's just like wrapping these layers of convenience on top of stuff that was... Uh, we, we were doing anyway, so why not 
make it convenient, make it less expensive and offer a service that has all the things we expect from a service like support and regular updates and that kind of thing. I, I really love this idea. I think it's going to catch on too. And just to correct something, I, I've been, I apologize. I've been saying HPE, HP Enterprise because I've got HPE on the brain recently. Yeah. But it's actually HP Inc. that is doing this. The you know when HP split up, they split up in HPE and um, HP Inc. So HPE is going to be more uh, uh, enterprise focused services, things like that. So services, the yeah, hardware, yeah. the hardware component is HP Inc. So right, just for clarification. But I really, I really do think that businesses now are ready for this. Right? I mean, yep. you look at what happens. A lot of businesses do this with their um, fleets already. So they're if you have a fleet of trucks, they may be leased as opposed to owned. Um, a lot of businesses do this. They may lease space or rent space. They may not own a building. Um, and they're in IT, you're getting more comfortable with, you know, software as a service, just sort of paying a fee because there's no capital investment, right? It, it's all OPEX budget. So now you're going to be able to do the same thing with hardware. Um, I, I think it's really cool. Um, you know, Google was doing this with, you know, they were trying to do this with their Chromebooks, right? Hey, look, you know, pay us a per user fixed price will give you you know the devices you can pay for you know you can run support on them and you'll get new updates and things we've seen this with you know with software but and now you know it's it's interesting to see this with hardware i think the time is right for it i think people are going to buy into it um and i i i can't wait to see um you know how well it goes I totally agree. You know, even Samsung is getting in on the action and doing something very similar uh, with their new S line of phones. Okay, so in uh, in big data news, uh, all of the activity that Google has stored about you uh, can now be seen on uh, one site, one place, uh, in a feed called My Activity. It shows the history of your online activities and interactions with Google products. Google has offered similar dashboard things in the past, but this kind of puts, uh, and Google is never known for their the quality user interface, uh, but this puts everything that the company says they know about you uh, in the privacy checkup in, in one place in the My Activity. Bill, what do you think this will help? This almost seems consumer focused, but do you think that this will help people become a little more comfortable with Google over time? You know, transparency is always good, but, you know, I don't necessarily know that it's hard for me to speak to this. Um, I have a security background. I have a, a criminal justice background and I'm, you know, I'm those old fogies that, you know, one of those people that didn't grow up in an age where uh, we share everything um, online about our lives, right, through social media. So, I, this does not make me or the skeptics trust Google anymore um, than it did, than I did before. But because I don't log into Google ever. Yeah. I log into Gmail when I get my mail and I log out. So I, they don't track my, you know, they track my searches based on IP address. Um, they, ba you know, based on cookies. I clear my cookies every time I close my browser. Yeah. Um, I do. So for me, just seeing the information and knowing sort of what they collect doesn't make me feel any better about it being collected. Um, but, you know, I guess that for people who are willing to sort of don't mind that, um, it might. Yeah. And, and transparency is always good. I, I will tell you an interesting story, though. I got to I got to tell you this is we were I was talking to one of our other 
editors yesterday, and we were talking about all the strange things that came up. And they were looking at all their searches, and they found one from a couple weeks ago, and it was like, um, naked man, church, street, and she, and she was like, what in the world was this? If somebody, why was I searching for this? If somebody saw this, what they would they be thinking? Yeah. But it turns out that there was a local news story where you had a mentally ill individual who was basically running around in the street and happened to have no clothes on with a sword. Yeah. And so she had heard about it in the office from someone. And of course, what do you do when you hear about it? You log on and you go to, you know, you log on to Google, you, you go to Google and you type in the keywords to find the local news story on it. So I, I think that was um, a surprise and a lot of people may be surprised what actually Google is storing um, about them. And maybe, you know, more so than just being comfortable, I really hope it, it, it helps people just understand how much information is collected about them That's and maybe tailor their behaviors uh, to meet whatever their expectations are and they're comfortable with. That's that's the key. Um, and, you know, I I would love to know, to have this on a, a corporate uh, account. Uh, I'm sure every boss would like to know what their employees are searching for. And I think that that's something that may make people uh, squirm a little bit. Uh, you know, if you're logged into your corporate account, but you use Google Apps, uh, there's there's information that's being gathered about you. I, you know, I, I feel the same way, Bill. I, I kind of gave into the algorithms a while back, but I, I even I use Google Apps instead of Gmail because I can pay them money to not track my usage and not resell my data for advertising. I don't know what good that does me, but I, you know, I like you am not terribly comfortable with the information that's stored about me. I guess it makes me feel a little better that this is displayed in a dashboard, but I had a similar experience to your colleague. Um, it, you know, a few years ago, I worked for a news company and we covered a few things that were pretty controversial. We covered the, the extent to which uh, underage pornography is available on Tumblr and that all of us were doing a lot of Google searches and we kind of looked at each other like, ah, uh, man, I hope the feds don't poke around at this. Uh. Right. And then we, we covered drug abuse. And yeah. we, so right after talk, doing a bunch of searches about, about we called it cheese pizza at the time uh, as a euphemism, but uh, we immediately were doing searches for, for drugs. And man, just like the naked man in the street example, boy, you could infer without context, you can infer quite a bit from looking at almost anybody's search history. So I, you know, whether this is good or bad, who knows, but I think it's one more example that illuminates the fact that every data company is gathering information about you. So take, be thoughtful about how you behave on the web. By behave, I mean search or friend, unfriend, uh, post things, you know, just to, be thoughtful and and use thoughtful decision making skills. You know, you and I both come from a time of the early of the early web, and so that when there was somewhat there was some anonymity, right? You know, communication networks, uh, uh, telecoms were not mass collecting data, yeah. uh, and that's just not the case anymore. Yep, people, but but there are quite a few people that still believe or. Uh, because they're not sitting in front of someone. They're not seeing them face to face, sitting at home by themselves. And they're just 
doing, you know, they're, they're on the internet, that there is anonymity. There isn't. I mean, unless you're using a Tor network and unless you're, you know, using fake names and unless you're, you know, and, and unless the Tor network hasn't been, you know, the exit compromised. hasn't been compromised, right? Right. There really is no anonymity. And, um, or, or, you know, even on an encrypted network sometimes, or I mean, you got to go way out of your way, the average person yeah. does, to, to be that anonymous. And, you know, when you and I as journalists, you know, you, you especially who's worked over, you know, who's worked in areas with repressive sort of regimes, I mean, you know, we understand this, but, but the average person, I don't believe they do. So I really think it could be a wake-up call, a good wake-up call for yeah. people to say, hey, look, um, here's what I've been searching for. And hey, here's what these data companies are collected and, and to know how it can be used against you. You know, yeah. because our legal system doesn't really provide protections here in the U.S. at least on how that data can and can't be used against you. So, for example, like you were talking about um, the stories you were working on either for um, uh, child pornography or for drugs. Cheese or, pizza. Or Cheese pizza. pizza. Right. Or, or me in my sideline, I teach classes in criminal justice. Yeah. I teach right. a terrorism class. So, you know, if I'm out there doing searches. <laughs> For ISIS or for Daesh or for the Tupac Morris or for the Shining Path or for yeah. whatever for my class, it's funny that people ask me, "What do you teach?" Of? Terrorism this, this this quarter. Oh, they're like, "What?" Okay, no, it's it's for criminal justice class. It's current issues, right. terrorism. So, but it can be if you don't have context, and sometimes algorithms may or may not, depending on good how good the algorithm is, whatever agency is looking at that. Yeah is, you know, it is almost like if you've seen the movie Brazil, you know, yeah. it, it is that. I mean, we have reached a world where that is, it, it was fantasy, you know, sort of was an exaggeration of bureaucracy back, you know, when it originally came. But that's what can happen. You can see people being swatted. You yeah, know, you can right. see people being doxxed. I mean, you can see that happen. There, if you look, the stories are, you know, clear with that. And health insurance companies, uh, could use what you post, like if you search for specific health issues. Could a health insurance company assume that you have that? Could they change your rate? Could an employer not hire you for that? Could an employer not hire? It's just the, the legal, the legal and the social um, controls that we have, and those systems that we have haven't caught up to technology. So anyway, I I, th I think it's you know how we use this data. You know, with as the as the ad, you know as the adage goes, you know, knowledge is power, and with great power comes great responsibility, right? So, yeah, it's uh, we live in interesting times. So, speaking of uh, the government knowing everything you do with technology, we of course need a very tech forward uh, government, right? Well, that too is uh, candidate uh, Hillary Clinton's presumption. This last week, she released. Uh, a technology policy agenda. And we have on the site what this means for business. Again, with all politics that we cover at Tech Republic, we, we don't cover the politics. We're not concerned with the horse race. We don't take sides uh, on uh, either way, on either political issue. Um, but this uh, tech agenda was a real fascinating dive into what the priorities of Secretary Clinton are and what she would like to do if uh, she is elected. Now, her office, uh, or her campaign rather, and and uh, Secretary Clinton herself have a, a pretty cozy relationship with the technology industry. Uh, a ton of different 
uh, tech thought leaders like Elon Musk, Sheryl Sandberg came out recently in support for uh, uh, Secretary Clinton and in support of many items on her agenda. We have a big list of stuff on techrepublic.com, but a lot of this involves uh, issues that directly influence business like uh, visas, visa reform, the ability to get capital and start a company if you are not a U.S. citizen or how to become a U.S. citizen and start a company here. It's all about attracting and retaining talent. She also offers uh, up to $17,500 in debt forgiveness if you start a college or if you start a company out of college. I know that that immediately, you know, I started a company when I was in my late 20s and early 30s. And like that, that would have been very attractive to me and, and really would have helped not just mitigate risk, but uh, allow a different class, allow the middle class access to a lot of the same things that uh, a lot of the same advantages that uh, uh, other more privileged classes have access to. So it's a real fascinating policy agenda. Of course, if Donald Trump uh, releases a, a tech policy agenda, we'll cover it. The same will be at the Democratic and Republican National Conventions in July. But Bill, I'd love to know what you think about what this policy agenda means for business. Well, you know, it's it really does come down to, like you said, how you know how friendly are the regulations going to be? How much leeway are they going to sort of allow kind of companies in shaping their sort of own future, right? So, I mean, the 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 policy and always reacts more slowly than technology changes, right? Or than sort of companies need. So, I really think that you know what you want is you want your policymakers to be somewhat. The policymakers have to be somewhat forward-looking, right? Yeah. So they can make policy for the time that we're in now, and the policy is completely useless, you know, four or five years from now, right? right? But we're kind of stuck with the policy because it takes a long time for those policy to sort of to change. Um, and I do think that for business, things like the high-speed internet to every American. That's an enabler, right? So those are kind of things that we've been asking for for a long time that, like you said, really go to leveling the playing field so that, you know, businesses can locate wherever they want to kind of, you know, can locate around the country and then can also, you know, expect to have good speeds, expect to, uh, you know, have a better job pool to hire from because the people that are being brought up, the people that are um, that are growing up, the workforce, right? They're going to have better access to the internet. Um, and so I think that, uh, I think encouraging the free flow of data, like you said, or, you know, making government smarter, more efficient, more responsive, um, setting up businesses to support innovation and foster competition. I mean, yeah. it'll be interesting. You know, the devil is always in the details here, right? So that's what really gets me. So you can say, hey, look, we're going to support innovation and we're going to foster competition. But if you still have policies or loopholes that support the entrenched, you know, entrenched businesses, either through, you know, either because of their lobbying efforts. So, you know, you've got a business that has been lobbying the federal government and has tax breaks and has, you know, the, you know, I was listening to somebody yesterday and as free and fair and as sort of level of playing field as we think, uh, sort of we have here in the U.S. in our American business, and it is better than a lot of many, than, than very many places. There are still policies, rules, and regulations, and even though most of those usually um, are geared towards supporting the status quo, 
right? I mean, so if you're doing relatively well in established businesses that have been around for say 50, 100 years or industries that have been around for that long have usually worked the policies to their advantage, right? They know the little ins and outs. They know they have the big financial teams, the big tax teams, the big, you know, they know how to make things sort of work in their favor. Whereas someone starting out, some little guy, you know, may not, right? They don't have the the sort of the lobbying interest and they don't have the, the big department. So, you know, I, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see exactly number one, what gets passed. Number one, what the sort of the details are, uh, what the budget numbers look like. Um, you know, I do like, you know, the, the student debt forgiveness, you know, things like that. Uh, I think that, you know, they say that student debt is the next sort of big bubble to perhaps burst. Um, modernizing, you know, cyber defense policies. We definitely need all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I do think that you need a, maybe it's, it's just a sign that I think uh, you'll have a more, a closer relationship with the tech industry with, and every, you know, most companies are somehow involved in tech these days, even if they're not, you know, a tech startup, right? But you'll have a closer relationship with those types of industries and government. If that's all it does, then great, yeah. right? I mean, if you can work cooperatively, a, a positive, better, closer relationship than an adversarial relationship, hey, I think that's all, a, you know, that that's the place to start. Yep. I think that that is, it is both a critique um, and, and just a, a statement of fact that the new Detroit, the new center of industry, the driver of uh, Western economy has shifted from being Detroit to being an information centric uh, uh, economy. And there are new captains of industry and to that end, it makes sense for a politician to have a tight relationship with those people, both as donors and as policy advisors. You would expect that from a Democrat or a Republican at any time. And it really kind of ties into, Bill, what you were saying a moment ago, which is, does this make government faster, more effective, and uh, a better agent of uh, the people? You know, there are things like debt forgiveness that I think will they play to the the uh, more populist uh, wing of the party, but also do you know if can be implemented properly, they they do things like mitigate risk. It is not the same financial risk for somebody in the middle class uh, as it is for somebody in the upper middle class to to start a company. And I think that all of this is driving at not a redistribution of wealth or any other crazy political conspiracies, but rather a desire to create more wealthy companies and to spread economic opportunity uh, to people who who are talented. And I think that that could be really interesting to see what happens. Again, we'll cover Donald Trump's uh, policy if, if one is released and we'll continue to follow the impact of this after the election to see, you know, do these, which one, which policies here actually make it into uh, uh, law or, or at least are, are proposed. We'll see. We've, we're going to end the show this week or end the headlines, the news uh, with a little more government, but way more dramatic government uh, across the pond. Uh, Nick Heath also wrote a story uh, about the Brexit, uh, five ways in which the UK leaving the EU will affect tech firms. And this is, again, we never covered the actual politics of things. Uh, that's not really our focus. But what we do want to talk about is how politics uh, and something like the Brexit 
can impact business. And, you know, Nick hit a bunch of great points like access to skills and talent in the marketplace, uh, availability of funding for startups, new trade tariffs may exist. These are all X factors that we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, no more EU research grants, huge uncertainty in handling data. So that, you know, Nick has a fantastic post. It's well worth the read, but all of these unknown unknowns, I, I'm getting a little Rumsfeldian with that, but there, there are known unknowns and now we have a bunch of unknown unknowns. How will these things affect tech businesses? Bill, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's too early to tell. Um, you know, Connor, uh, building on what Nick wrote, Connor Forrest, he did. He wrote about, he, he did some interviews with several people about how they believe, you know, Brexit will affect uh, IT, uh, business technology professionals. And one of the things that they said, no matter what happens, it's, it, it's still kind of too early to tell, but you need to have someone in your organization looking at this. Like, you need to have a chief Brexit officer. I mean... Or, or CBS. Yeah, yeah, we should we should we should run that up to flag to uh, CBS Interactive uh, Executive yeah. Management. Hey, who's our chief CBO, chief Brexit officer? Right. Um, but you you he said you need to have someone um, look at this because this will this could affect spending, right? It could it's probably going to affect your IT budgets going forward. You know, are you going to spend more in the UK if you're dealing with companies in the UK or you're dealing with companies in Europe? Uh, what portion of your budget is going to be allocated to those? How is it going to affect vendor relationships? Is it going to affect pricing, right? So products and services that are sold in the UK may need to be reevaluated on a cost basis. So what your expectations around margin are, um, all kinds of competitive positioning. Uh, you, you may, there may be issues about data privacy. So if you have operations over there, if you have data that's passing through the UK, um, how, you know, current EU regulations may not apply to those. Uh, so there are issues that are going to come up and maybe things, you know, the, the UK still has to do negotiations with the EU. So the deals that they work out may keep things a lot of the same, you know, may keep the status quo on some of these yeah. things. The UK may say, Hey, look, we're going to, have the same data data privacy laws in, that we have in the EU or not, or we're going to, you know, we're going to do everything that we can to keep things the same on a lot of these economic and technological issues, but you just don't know yet. Now, the, so it's important to have somebody in your organization that's looking at this on a regular basis um, and kind of is, is on point for this. And obviously it will depend on how much exposure your company has to the EU and to the UK on whether you have somebody looking at this full time versus just it being a part time sort of project or or something of, of that effect. So, and the, the the good thing is that you know this will take a little while. You know, it, it, it's at least two years uh, more than likely for this to uh, for at the earliest. Uh, and but you don't want to wait until like you know six you know six months before the deadline. Go ahead and start looking at this now. And hey, it's possible crazier things have happened. Maybe they'll do a second yeah. vote and this will never happen. I don't know. Um, but it, it, you definitely need to start looking at it now um, to make sure that you manage the risk appropriately. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about, mitigating risk. Uh, you know, I spoke with a lot of people, a lot of small business owners uh, at the time Dodd-Frank was passed. And what nearly every single one of them said on the left and the right was that, look, the reason we don't like this law is that it adds a lot of uh, 
it, it limits our access to capital and then adds on top of that a lot of X factors. And we just, we know that we will understand these. And at the time they said in about two years, we, we know that we'll understand how this will affect us. But right now we don't, we have to make business decisions for those X factors. And I think a very similar thing is happening with the Brexit and, and business in that it is just incredibly difficult to predict what will happen. And because of that, you can't, you're going to be held accountable. Your customers will, will hold you accountable. Your CEO will, your board of directors, no matter who you report to, somebody will hold you accountable for the decisions you make now. And this adds a bunch of X factors that you really, it's, it's hard to make sense of, which kind of explains on a meta level why we've been covering politics, both in Britain and here in the United States, that our interest, again, is not the politics, but it is helping to understand the process and the players so that you can better plan for a particular type of scenario. And understanding the players is it's half the battle right there. So Bill, thanks a ton for joining the headlines today on Business Technology Weekly. Our big news is, of course, we are ending the show again. Um, we're ending it in this format. So one thing that we've done with the Tech Republic podcast in the past year that you guys have responded very positively to is experiment with different formats. Um, we don't want to just do a show just to do a show. And we don't want to release content that is like, ah, let's just chatter about something with no preparation. You come to Tech Republic because we give you information that helps you run your business better or at least understand the world through the eyes of business more effectively. Uh, and to that end, we thought, all right, what if we what if we do a roundtable discussion? That worked. Uh, but there were some other things that we wanted to do. So last spring, Jason Heiner, uh, my my boss and and Bill, the editor at Tech Republic, he and I sat down. We we're like, well, let's try maybe a news style show so that we can we can get the headlines out fast. And you guys responded to that. You said we love hearing the headlines, but we kind of miss hearing the longer form chatter. So the way we're we're kind of handling both of those things. Uh, and a lot of you also wanted to listen to older episodes. Not everybody has time to keep up with the news every day, but you go back and you listen to older episodes. Uh, and so the way we're kind of amalgamating the two is by uh, combining newsworthy topics with news makers. And over the next two months, uh, through the rest of July and August, we are going to experiment with a couple different formats of discussion plus interview. So for example, um, we are, we, we've spent a lot of time writing down names and lists of people that we think are interesting and relevant to you. We're reaching out back channel. We're reaching out to these people and saying, Hey, do you want to come on our show? And you know, we'll ask you three questions about business and technology. And we want to hear what you have to say. We're also interviewing people like, uh, I, I met with stand up New York, a comedy club here in the city that, uh, the way they've survived as a comedy club is by embracing podcasting as a business. So we're talking with them about how they make money on podcasting, and what it's done for them uh, as a business venture. We're also going to be at the RNC and the DNC and working with our colleagues at CNET uh, to talk about what politics means for business um, and talking with a lot of in other interesting people through the fall. So we want to continue to hear from you. Uh, you can call and leave your uh, voicemail at 
646-389-5404. Again, that's 646-389-5404. We are getting to that uh, listener call-in show that we've been promising we'll do sometime in the late summer as well. Uh, and you can always follow us on Twitter at Tech Republic or send us an email at podcast at techrepublic.com. Bill, what do you think about the, the new format opportunities and, and what that means for our business listeners? I'm really excited about it because I think it's sort of, you treat these like a master class. So you get to go out and you get to hear from people who are making the news, but also people that have really important insights into the world of tech, the world of business tech. And, you know, I know you're going to be doing a fantastic job with asking them, not just, you know, hey, what do you think about X? But helping sort of helping listeners, you know, helping them help listeners. So it really is, and that's what Tech Republic has always been about, not just giving you the, you the news, but actually giving you actionable information that you can take away from these news stories and that you can put into practice within your organization. And that's what, and now you're not just going to be hearing it, you know, from us, but you're going to be hearing it from people who are out there, who are on the front lines of IT, who are, on the, who are making um, IT you know, and making business tech decisions and making sort of the news and then helping you're going to, and Dan's here to sort of help them translate their knowledge, their expertise um, into advice and practical information that our listeners can use. So I'm really, you know, I think it's a great format uh, and I'm really excited about it. And I can't wait to hear, uh, I can't wait to hear the first one. Awesome. Me too. Uh, so again, follow us on Twitter at Tech Republic, and uh, you can email us podcast at techrepublic.com. That phone number, one more time, is 646 389 5404. I'm Dan Patterson. Bill, thanks uh, for helping with the headlines at the last headline episode. We will talk with you next week on Tech Republic's Business Technology Weekly.